We present Genius. Contains stupidus digressivum. Here is your host, Dave Gorman. Hello, I'm Dave Gorman and welcome to Genius, the show all about your ideas. Every week, myself and a celebrity guest place a selection of ideas under the microscope in the hope that, on closer inspection, we will discover true genius. We receive thousands of ideas at Genius HQ. Some people send us several ideas, and after a while, you start to see how their minds work. <laughs> and in some cases, how they don't. <laughs> One such person is Keith. Keith has convinced himself that any noun automatically becomes a genius idea if it is preceded by the words Swiss and army. <laughs> Presumably, he thinks the words imply that an object can be used for various other functions, but Keith never explains what these other functions might be. <laughs> and so, this week alone, his suggestions have included the Swiss Army kettle, the Swiss Army desk, the Swiss Army mouse mat, the Swiss Army carpet, Swiss Army cheese, the Swiss Army tape measure, the Swiss Army mirror, the Swiss Army navy, and the Swiss Army moustache. <laughs> I'm sorry, Keith. It's a Swiss Army no. <laughs> Luckily, other people have sent in more cogent ideas, and so we have assembled an array of potential geniuses here this evening. To discuss their ideas, we need a genius guest, and I'm delighted to say that we have just that. She's a writer, a broadcaster, and an academic who is widely regarded as one of the most significant feminist voices of the 20th century. And she's been a celebrity Big Brother housemate too. No, it's not Caprice. It is, of course, the genius Jermaine Greer. Jermaine, do you have any genius ideas of your own you'd, you'd care to share with us this evening? Years ago, I argued, for example, you shouldn't have any prisons. And instead of putting people in prison, when they're bad, if you've proved that they're bad, then you paint them a colour. You give them a chemical. <laughs> I was in favour of branding at first, but people thought that was barbaric. <laughs> so I thought, you know, with thieves, depending on how badly thieving they were, you could just give them red fingers or a red hand or a red arm, or you can make them all red. <laughs> I just think it's a groove of an idea. It might liven up the landscape as well. well. There you go. That is proof that tonight's guest is a genius. Let's see if we can discover any others. Uh, we're going to hear a few ideas, and we'll find out which of them you, Jermaine, think are genius. At the end of the show, I'll ask you for your two favourites, and whichever one wins the favour of tonight's audience will win the highly sought-after genius trophy. <laughs> I very much doubt that anyone here has seen a trophy like that before. <laughs> and if you're on the back row, you probably still haven't. <laughs> so, let's start proceedings with our first potential genius, who is Scott Basham of Wokingham. Dear genius, most people absolutely hate the ringing sound of their alarm clock. Now, this means that they wake up irritated and angry, which, I'm sure you'll agree, is always a bad start to the day. The solution is simple. An alarm clock which is absolutely silent when it goes off. <laughs> the prototype works like this. When you go to bed, you set the alarm and press a button which starts it ringing continuously. <laughs> After a while, you get used to the ringing sound and you fall asleep. Next morning, when it's time to wake up, the ringing suddenly stops. The change is so dramatic that you wake up to a wonderful, peaceful silence. <laughs> Scott, just tell me something. Am I to infer 
that you always sleep alone. <laughs> this idea has to come from a single person. Um, it's funny, because I did split up recently, and um, one of the problems that I have now is if I'm in conversation with someone like my girlfriend at the time, and, uh, you know, you're having a good conversation, but then there's a sudden silence, I suddenly feel this sense of alarm and panic, and, and I, I wake up. Well, in which case, to, to make this conversation easier... Carry on. <laughs> Actually, you... that's not one of the sounds I use. There's a number of sounds you've got to avoid because it will interfere with your day-to-day -day life, so alarm bells, fire alarms, burglar alarms, the sound of a drowning man screaming for help. <laughs> you've got to avoid all of those. Unless you're a really unhelpful person. Do you have a mobile phone? Uh, yes, I do, yes. Would it not be easier just to set it on vibrate and place it in a sensitive <laughs> part of your anatomy? <laughs> and you might wake up in a terrifically good mood. Imagine you're sharing a bed with somebody. One of you wants to go to sleep and the other one of you thinks... I just want to read for an hour. How do you handle it then? Because you can't sit and read with... going on in the background. Headphones. You have headphones on. You've thought of everything, nice. Yeah. I think waking up in a grouchy mood is not a bad thing to do because you wake up in a grouchy mood and then the day improves. That's the thing about hangovers. You know that you're going to start feeling better. When you give up the booze, you wake up every day and you think, that's as good as I'm going to feel all day. <laughs> Could you not have a silence, mm -hmm. as per the normal alarm clock, and then the voice of the person you would most like to wake up with? You see, that's the problem. Whatever it is, however much you like it, you associate it with the pain and trauma of being woken up against your will. So you, you imagine Brad Pitt is being woken by Angelina Jolie and going, oh, not her again. <laughs> Kind of depends on the purpose of her waking him up, really. If it's, if it's to go off and work in an IT company the way that I do, then it wouldn't do much for me. I mean, this isn't going to help you find the new partner, is it? The first time someone sleeps over. <laughs> There's not going to be that lovely moment where you go, anyway, let's get some sleep now. <laughs> Unless they've got tinnitus... Yes, unless, but I think... I should maybe put... <laughs> could maybe put that in the personal ads. That's limiting... Man seeks... Limiting your dating options <laughs> unnecessarily and diminishing the gene pool you're going to breed from. OK, yes. That's Fair not enough. helping. Well, I, I, I'm finding it hard to see the good in your idea, Scott, but it isn't my decision, so don't be dismayed by that. Uh, the decision rests with Jermaine. Jermaine, is Scott and his inverse alarm clock, is, is that the work of genius? I don't think so. Oh. Oh. I'm afraid. Never mind, Scott. He's cute, though. <laughs> Thank you for coming, Scott. OK, well, let's see if our next idea can persuade you, Jermaine. It comes from Stuart G. Evans, who is from Margate. Dear genius, I've got some questions. Now, is Greater London larger or smaller than 50,000 hectares? OK, it's the nearest thousand. How many acres in Norfolk? Square miles in Belgium? Anyone? Exactly. Hectares, kilometres, square acres. Meaningless. In their place, let's have units which we can understand. A pinhead, a thumbnail, a matchbox, 
a tea tray maybe, we have a snooker table, a tennis court, a football pitch, maybe an Isle of Wight. Uh, Wales would certainly be useful. But I think particularly, Professor Greer, the ultimate measurement for mankind should be in Australia. <laughs> Let's have real measurements. You creep. <laughs> you shallow, shallow creep. Yes. With your Professor Greer yeah. and your Australia, uh, you. Yeah. Um, I desperate, like your style. pathetic attempt, yes. Uh, I like your style. Um, I can answer your questions, incidentally. Uh, London is larger than 50,000 hectares. Uh, it's 157,730. Uh, and to the nearest thousand, uh, the acres in Norfolk are 1,327,000. Precisely. And square miles things. in Belgium? Oh, I don't know that one. No, you didn't no. look up that one, because <laughs> I put it in afterwards. No. Uh, it's 12,800, uh, but don't worry. <laughs> I've no interest or care in how large Belgium is. <laughs> It's never going to trouble me. It's one and a half Waleses. Now we all know. Ah. <laughs> now that's the point. Yes. It only makes sense if you teach us the tables. We have to know how many of each goes into the other. I mean, you remember when you were little, you learned 12 inches, one foot, three feet, one yard, yep. 22 yards, one chain, eight chains, one mile. We, and we do all that furlongy business and everything with the races. We know exactly how long they are yep. uh, because we know their relationship to each other. Yeah. I'm not sure that you necessarily do. How many Australians in the United States, for example? I think you'll find in North America, I think it's about three. I wanted a vulgar fraction. Ah. <laughs> I, I do find the idea of, of a bunch of schoolchildren doing their Wales times table <laughs> just kind of appealing. Yes. One yes. times Wales is Wales. Yes. That's <laughs> Two yeah. times Wales is Norway. Yeah. <laughs> Three times Wales is etc. But I think Wales would get an inferiority complex. Yeah. But... Oh, I don't know. I think it's a cute idea. It has a certain charm. How, how, how tall are you, Stuart? Uh, five foot ten. Oh, you're using the old measurements Woo! for that, then, yeah? OK. <laughs> yeah. Surely you were going to tell me in tea trays. No. <laughs> no, I'm about a thousandth of a Nelson column, I would imagine. I'm really not sure on that. <laughs> well, you see, in which case, it isn't comprehensible in your own system, is it? Five foot ten is entirely comprehensible. Well, you understand it when you're talking about how tall people are, but this is what wasn't my point. I was asking about areas which, where it does get difficult. I'm actually quite attracted to the idea of doing it for height as well. I mean, are you a Rod Stewart or...? Well, it's, it's always surprising when you see people in real life. They're always you? midgets. Yes. Yeah. That's me all the time. Yeah. So I'm probably a couple of Rod Stewarts. You know, I don't yeah, know. possibly. <laughs> Not only a creep, but a boastful yeah. creep. Oh, no, 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 I have to speak up for you. I think this is a, quite a winning idea, especially as you offer it in a very winning way. Um, <laughs> Speaking as an Australian, I'm constantly frustrated by the fact that nobody has the foggiest idea how big Australia is. And so when we have bushfires, they show me a map yeah. in the paper that tells me that three quarters of the country is ablaze. Yeah, and it's three million square miles. We know that, don't we? <laughs> Do we? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think the newspapers know that because we have a fire that's on a 50-mile front and it's a great big blob in the corner of the map. So I think it's quite a good idea. You're beginning to win me over there, especially as you're such a sweet way of doing it. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I think science needs precision, and that tabloid newspapers already do this, and that's OK. That would be my take on it. But, as I said before, it isn't down to me. 
Jermaine, it's, you, you are being won over by this. I am in favour of anything that will aid that rather feeble part of the human brain to understand relationships and probabilities and proportions. And so I can see that it contains lots of difficulties, but genius ideas very often do. I think it has a touch of genius, this idea. Oh, I like you. it. Thank you. There you go. Thank you, Stuart. You are a genius. It is official. Our next idea has travelled from Oxted and comes from Peter Spires. Dear genius, how about husbands for justice? <laughs> it's all right for fathers for justice. What have they got to moan about? No wives, no kids. <laughs> On the other hand, Husbands for Justice has simple aims. What do we want? Hot puddings. <laughs> when do we want them? Between 7 and 8.30pm. <laughs> Mondays, Tuesdays and Thursdays. Simple genius. <laughs> Do you, do you get the impression, Peter, that this might be the wrong blend of idea and guest? When the production crew invited me, they did say I was pitching to Nigella Lawson. The original, the original hot pudding. <laughs> what you're basically saying is, is that you want hot puddings. Mondays, Tuesdays and Thursdays. Yeah, it, it's clear. Which, which does beg the question, what the hell is happening on Wednesdays and Fridays? <laughs> I want to do this sequentially. Uh, you know, build a foundation, move on. So it is actually a campaign for putting seven days a week. You're just... <laughs> do, you, do you have many members in your organisation? Oh, very many, and uh, we've, some of the members have struggled. I mean, one of them... <laughs> He mentioned it to his wife, and uh, he was having his dinner at the time, and she leapt straight into action, pulled the Muller fruit corner, other fruit corners are available, off of him, <laughs> put it in the microwave for a minute and gave it back to him. <laughs> That's agony, isn't it? I think trying to persuade Jermaine Greer that your wife should make you a pudding... <laughs> might be a truer definition of agony <laughs> than my mate's wife put a yoghurt in the microwave. <laughs> You'd never get a pudding out of me, mate. <laughs> but then you're not likely to marry me either, are you? Really? <laughs> We're assuming that you are a married man. I, I am. And uh, my wife isn't here tonight. <laughs> Does she make you hot puddings? No, that's the, it's the Muller Fruit Corners again. Well, as a lawyer, I've negotiated some tough contracts, but I think negotiating this with my wife was just not on the cards. <laughs> I think I've, I've got this. Make your own pudding. <laughs> Splitter. <laughs> Perhaps we should start making you provide strange things under terms of the contract. What would we like husbands to provide? It's not going well. Silence. <laughs> well, no, there, there was silence, but on the second row, a woman went to speak and a man went to cover her mouth. <laughs> so I'm going to ask her what she was going to say, and if she's not going to tell me, I'm going to ask you what you were frightened she was going to say. <laughs> What, what were you thinking that husband should provide? Just a cup of tea. <laughs> oh. 
we, we've got a microwave and, and we've got some puddings. Now, I'm going to start the process. <laughs> Peter, <laughs> the pudding is in the microwave. <laughs> Do you want to turn the microwave on and make your own hot pudding? No. <laughs> Jermaine, would you like to make him a hot pudding? <laughs> yes. I think it's a matter of principle never to make this man a hot pudding. <laughs> is, there, is there a woman in, in this audience tonight who would be prepared to make this man, who is not prepared to walk <laughs> the 25 tea trays? <laughs> Required to make himself a hot pudding. Is there anyone who's going to be servile enough to take on this burden? Are you pimping for pudding? <laughs> You've put up a fight. I think I know which way it's going. Actually, I've got an uncomfortable feeling that you're a rather good lawyer. This is somebody who knows how to plead for an unworkable contract. <laughs> I think you've done yourself a lot of good this evening, but you're not a genius, you're just a lawyer. Ladies <laughs> <laughs> and gentlemen, our next idea comes from Will Walker, and he is from Norwich. Dear genius, to combat the current shortage of prison places, any old bits of waste ground should be turned into Lego prisons. <laughs> On commencing his or her sentence, the felon is given a bag of Lego bricks big enough to build a small cell. <laughs> because each prisoner builds their own cell, it saves on the public purse and teaches the likes a trade. <laughs> Short-term prisoners get big bricks, so it only takes a day to build their cell. Lifers can be given smaller bricks, so it keeps them exercised and occupied over the years. <laughs> We've got to ask some questions about this. Why don't they just leg it? <laughs> because what, they're supervised. What, what you oi, could do... Oi, 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 that's a bit difficult on yeah. every bit of brownfield space, apart from the fact you'll be fighting the developers for it. <laughs> um, they're going to be imprisoned on a building site for the duration of their sentence. I think it's cruel and unnatural punishment. <laughs> well, if the prisoners get the hand in and, and really work at it and build the cell, it'll be done quicker, so they won't be living on a building site. They'll be living in a cell they're happy to live in because they've got an investment in it. They've built it, they can design it the way they want to, to design it. Ah, but now we're getting a bit beyond Lego, aren't we? We're going to have to think of actual things like trusses and roofing and doors and windows and bars and things like that. You get them all in the bigger box. <laughs> there is actually a Lego prison out there. Um, it's, it's very strict. It actually says on the box, six to nine years. Um, <laughs> what you could do... To prevent people from escaping while they're in the process of building, and it's incomplete, is house the whole thing in some kind of compound or prison. <laughs> Would that help at all? Well, Lego is made of plastic and it floats, so you could build it out on a river and then they can't get away unless they swim. <laughs> and it has social ramifications as well, because while the prisoners are building the cell, they, they learn a trade, and when they come out of prison at the end of it, they can build small houses for first-time buyers who can't afford a proper house. <laughs> when you say they learn a trade, <laughs> it's a trade that four-year-olds are already adept at. I mean... Well, when you think that most four-year-olds are going to grow up into 16-year-olds who will end up in prison, then they've already got, got a head start on how to build a cell. So the first thing we teach our young is how to build their own prison. <laughs> Saves money. Yeah, OK. 
I'm beginning to like this idea, partly because the colours are cute. <laughs> I like those strong primary colours. I, what I don't know, because I'm a girl, I suppose, is I can't figure out how you're in it and outside it putting on the roof at the same time. And would you just climb back in like a good boy and live there for the rest of your life, or wouldn't you just leg it? you just go. Although, actually, I think you probably wouldn't leg it because oh, like you're a... enjoying playing with your Lego. <laughs> I don't think it's as cheap as you think. Oh, but that's the beauty of it, though. Once the prisoner has served his sentence, he dismantles the bricks, gives them to the next prisoner, and uh, the next prisoner then builds the cell the same bricks. Plus, that means we also have only the number of cells that we actually need at any one given time. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> Would they have real gardens, or are you thinking fuzzy felt? Well, you get Lego trees and things. That's one of the perks. If you're, if you're well behaved for your first part of your sentence, you get given trees and little Lego televisions and little Lego whatever. And then if you're badly behaved, you get them taken away again. OK. <laughs> Strangely, it started making sense. Um, <laughs> which means it's probably a good moment to go for a verdict, one way or the other. Jermaine, you've sort of swung slightly towards it. It's completely impractical, it's totally mad, and therefore I think it might be a work of genius. There you go. <laughs> Will Walker, you are a genius. Congratulations. Well, our next idea comes from Dave Benson, who is of Buxton. Dear genius, the names we have given to numbers are wrong and complicated to learn. It makes complete logical sense to have 70, 80, 90, etc. But where did 20, 30 and 50 come from? Surely it should be 2T, 3T and 5T. In addition, the numbers between 9 and 20 make no sense. 11, what's that? 1T1 is what it should be. 12, 1T2, 13, 1T3 and so on. It hasn't taken me long to read this message and already you understand the concept and can use my new numbering system effectively. Surely we should waste no time and implement it in the new school curriculum. <laughs> Jermaine, how does this grab you as first thoughts? Well, the difficulty is, of course, that 20 and 30 are historic developments out of the language that we used to speak. I knew you'd say that. It's, <laughs> they're linguistic fossils, if you like, but they're cute, they're nice, I like them. 20's cuter than 2T? 2T, 3T. You might as well ask, what's the T for? Well, it denotes tens. Well, why not two ten, then? And well, three ten? And like four ten? And five ten? It <laughs> would be not? even more blindingly obvious what you meant. Uh, I mean, the tough ones surely are things like hundred, ten, t ten. No, no, you don't say or, ten, t ten, you just say hundreds. Hundreds, hundred can stay, that's fine. No, no, why? Why, why be so unreasonable? Why, well, why decide? Not? How old are you, Dave? Uh, 39. Yeah. <laughs> so what year were you born? Uh, 1967. Good. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I just think trite lyricists are going to hate you. Yeah. Because you've removed the teen rhyme. Indeed. At the moment, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 and 19 all rhyme, which is very good for people writing bad songs. <laughs> but you don't want to go and see the sound of music with someone singing I am 26 going on 27. <laughs> So there's some people who are going to hate you already for, for this idea. Um, I'm, I'm quite happy with that, though. <laughs> i tell you who else would hate this. Paul Hardcastle. <laughs> I, 
you're not going to be able to do this with one T9, are you? Yeah. In World War II, the average age of the combat soldier was 26. In Vietnam, he was 19. In, 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 in Vietnam, he was 19. That's ruined. <laughs> it's having to go back and rewrite pop culture references to, to fit with this new system, because they won't make sense if they're still in the old system, and I, I think that's dangerous. I don't want this to, to ever be what happens. You know, you don't want to have... In at 27 is Love Shack by the B-52s. <laughs> Climbing up the chart to 26 is Stay Another Day by East 27. <laughs> at 25 is Tchaikovsky with his 1-8-1-2 overture. <laughs> so Solid Crew are at 24 with 21 seconds to go. <laughs> and this week's fastest mover, up 26 places from 3-9 to 1-3, is Bobby Vinton with Why Must I Be a Person Between the Ages of 1-3 and 1-9 in Love. <laughs> You see how easily you picked it up. <laughs> I have, and yet I haven't got a clue what anything I just said means. <laughs> and that's my problem. I don't see how it's improved anything. I don't see how it's changed anything. <laughs> but uh, it isn't my choice, and it's not about Paul Hardcastle. It's about you, and it's about Jermaine, and whether she is persuaded. But I'm, I'm getting a bad vibe. It's Jermaine? No, I'm not persuaded. I think it's an idea too far. I don't like it. I can see that it's easy, but it's charmless. It's ugly. I don't like it. You're not a genius, but we thank you for coming. Thank you. OK, well, we've heard all the ideas. The two genius ideas were Lego prisons from Will Walker and the kind of more real measurement system uh, from Stuart Evans. And so I'd like to invite Stuart and Will to join me on the stage. OK, it's very simple, ladies and gentlemen. All those in favour of Lego prisons. More real measurements. Gracious in defeat, Stuart. You, you, yes. you acknowledged from the noise that that, that had oh, just yes, gone quite so, quite that so, way. Yes. Never mind. Uh, maybe we'll have a, a kind of new system to measure that noise. We can say, oh, that was about a Who concert. Uh, yeah. <laughs> No, a very small proportion of that, but yeah, yes, yeah. yeah, it's a good idea. Will, did you ever imagine <laughs> for a moment you'd be going home with something as beauteous as that? Lewis Hamilton, eat your heart out, I mean. <laughs> well, we thank you very much, Will, for gracing us with such a genius idea. We would like to thank Jermaine Greer for being a genius guest. <laughs> Everyone who pitched their ideas, genius or not. And, of course, you for listening. But we just have time for some ideas from tonight's studio audience, which include an idea from Steve, who says, to boost morale in the workplace, people who work together should do what footballers do and share a big bath at the end of the day. <laughs> idea from Claire, who says, to boost morale in the workplace, pervy Steve should have a cold shower. <laughs> and an idea from John, who says, Gordon Brown should be given a texture like sun in order to make the Strangler's lyrics more accurate. <laughs> We play you out, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> with the Team Genius 29 remix of Paul Hardcastle's 19. In World War II, the average age of the combat soldier was 26. In Vietnam, he was 29. In Vietnam, he was 29. In Vietnam, he was 29. Genius was hosted by Dave Gorman with special guest Jermaine Greer. It was devised by Ali Crockett and David Scott. The producer was Simon Nichols, and I, Will Walker, was tonight's top genius.